The bottom line is, cancer cannot exist in a body where the immune system is functioning properly, period. If the immune system is working, you cannot have cancer. If you have cancer, that means your immune system has failed in one, one aspect or another. Welcome to the What Up Doc University podcast, your number one resource for total body wellness. Here's your host, Dr. Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the What Up Doc University podcast. This is Dr. Mike bringing you another special guest. And today, this is one of the guys that, that I followed for a while and I, and, and I watched his, his documentary series, The Truth About Cancer. And today, he's going to talk to us about all the things surrounding cancer. We have Ty Bollinger on the podcast today. Ty, how are you doing today? Good, Dr. Mike. How are you? Great to be on. I'm doing well. Let's uh, let's start with a little bit about your backstory and uh, how you even got to making this this whole series and the truth about cancer and all this kind of stuff. Sure, man. Uh, I tell you what, Doctor Mike. Back twenty wow twenty five years ago, when I graduated college from Baylor University, I, I got out in nineteen ninety one with a master's degree. I never dreamed that I would be writing books and producing documentaries about natural treatments for cancer twenty five years later, but. <laughs> Kind of life gets in the way sometimes, and, yeah, and yeah. what happened with me is my father was diagnosed in on July the first of nineteen ninety six with uh, with stomach cancer. They thought it was gallstones initially, but they they cut him open and went in there and found out it was stomach cancer, and they ended up to removing I, I guess about seventy five percent of his stomach. And uh, the initial prognosis was that he would li- he would live no longer than two years without chemo. Okay. And he died. He died in 25 days. Oh my. He, uh, he, he died as a result of the surgery. He bled out. He had 19 blood transfusions in 25 days, and they couldn't keep they couldn't keep him stitched up, and he died. And that was really what <laughs> that was what threw me headfirst into researching cancer treatments. Because, to be honest with you, I just couldn't understand how a medical system that is so advanced in many areas, such as trauma medicine, couldn't save my father, and and that he died in 25 days when he was supposed to have two years. I just didn't get it. I, I thought there's something, something's not computing right here, and and that's what really got me going, and that's what started me researching. And and uh, wow, the, the over the next seven years after Dad died, I lost both granddads, grandmom, uncle, cousin, and finally my mother. And uh, it was at that point that I published a book on cancer called Cancer: Step Outside the Box in 2006. And I tell you what, the rest, as they say, is history. It's just been kind of a snowball effect since then. And now this is what I do full time. So what were the first things that you, when you started doing the research, what were the first thing that you started to to find out? Like what else is out there? What were the first things that you stumbled upon? The first thing I stumbled upon was vitamin B17. I watched back then, if you remember, uh, how old are you, Dr. Mike? I'm 36. Okay, so you you vaguely remember video cassette tapes, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I, the video tapes. My my son and daughters. <laughs> yeah, I do too. I've got a bunch of them. They're probably going to be relics one day. But yeah, they my sons and uh, my son and daughters have never even seen one. This generation doesn't know video tapes. But we we got our hands on a videotape of a, of a man named Jason Vale. Okay, who was an arm wrestler from New York City, and it was a videotape of him back in the mid '90s on a, a TV show called Extra talking about how he had been diagnosed with terminal cancer and they had given him chemo and it almost killed him. And he said, no more. He went out and 
started reading some books. Perhaps you've seen, you've heard of them. Books. They they yeah. <laughs> they they have hard covers and words in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. They anyway, have paper in them. <laughs> yeah, paper. So he started reading some books and he learned about vitamin B seventeen. He started going to the mar- supermarket up in New York City where he lived and eating a lot of apple seeds and apricot seeds, which are high in vitamin B seventeen. And he totally turned his cancer around. And we saw a video interview of him on Extra Telling His Story. That was our first introduction into this realm of natural treatments for cancer. And interestingly, the two things that stuck out the most to me when we started doing more research was the number, the sheer number of natural substances that have an anti-cancer effect and the fact that these treatments, these substances are being regularly suppressed and people, doctors that use them are regularly persecuted and maligned. And I was blown away that it seemed to me, and I mean, I'd never grown up suspicious of the medical industry or the government or anything. I didn't grow up that way. I didn't grow up as a conspiracy theorist at all. I mean, I was just completely mainstream. I believed everything I was told. And I, I just couldn't understand how there seemed to be an active conspiracy to suppress these natural treatments for cancer. And the more I studied, the more that I read, the more that I learned, the more people that I interviewed, I realized that it, that actually is the case, that the, these treatments are being actively suppressed because it's, you know, the cancer industry is really run by primarily by money. And yeah. money's the main consideration. Yeah, what what are your findings right now as far as the, the statistics statistics behind uh, the cancer industry? How much money are they making? Annually? Wow. Well, I, you know, I, I I don't remember the the global number annually. It's 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 in excess of a billion dollars, I'm certain, and maybe maybe it's even more than that. I I don't know the the numbers. I do know that you an average cancer patient is worth between seven hundred fifty thousand and a million dollars to the industry. Oh my gosh! Between the treatments and the follow-ups and the injections and the drugs, I was doing a radio show interview a few years ago on on Coast to Coast with George Nori, and yeah, they've got a huge audience, and we we had a really good audience that night, and we were talking about the the money that's that some of these new experimental chemotherapy drugs, how much it costs, and you know, I, I mentioned to George that that. There was there were some drugs that I'd read about that were fifty thousand dollars per injection, fifty per. Oh treatment. yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, one of the a guy called up afterwards and he said, "Ty, actually, you're a little bit under that." He said, "My mother just went in for experimental chemotherapy and it was seventy thousand dollars per shot." And he wow. said, "Unfortunately, it took fourteen days to kill her." She went <laughs> apparently she went in, Doctor Mike, for a for a, a just an annual visit wasn't feeling uh, badly by any means, didn't have any symptoms, but they did some tests and they said, oh, wow, you've got an aggressive cancer. We got to start you on this experimental chemo or you're going to die. And sure enough, in two weeks, she died. And she died from the chemo, not from anything else. She didn't have any symptoms at that point. But you know, we, we, we're really living in what I call the medical matrix because these treatments that, that really don't work too well for most cancers, these chemotherapies, and there, there are a few cancers like some blood cancers and some leukemias, uh, testicular cancer that chemotherapy works okay on. I'm not going to say that, that, that it doesn't work on some cancers. At least when I say work, when I, when I say that, I don't mean that it cures completely, but it does kill the cancerous cells and it enables your, your body to have a reprieve so that you can recover. But for the large majority of cancers, chemo doesn't work at all. It doesn't shrink the tumor at all. It actually creates cancer cells. I mean, there, there, there are numerous studies over the last two to three years that show that chemotherapy actually creates and enriches cancer stem cells, which, which is the real boogers that we want to worry about. Yeah, and and yeah. so, you know, we have a treatment protocol that's actually causing and worsening the very condition that it's supposed to treat. 
So why in this day and age, why as soon as a person, you know, gets diagnosed, why is why is this knee jerk reaction automatically chemotherapy or radiation or surgery? Why is that? The, the 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 reason that that's what they're prescribed by their physician is that's typically all the physician knows. Uh huh. The the physician, it, you know, doctors aren't bad people. They're they're pretty pretty stinking smart. Most doctors they go yep. through a lot of education. Yep. They know a lot about the body. They are mostly brilliant people. A lot smarter than I am, I have to say. But even a genius can't teach you something that he or she hasn't been taught themselves. Sure. And, the reality is that that doctors are not taught this in medical school. The medical schools were co-opted over a hundred years ago when we learned about the Flexner Report in a lot of my research, and I've done a couple of documentary films where we exposed the Flexner Report, the way mm-hmm. that big business and the AMA basically took over medical school curriculum in the United States. And that's why doctors don't know because they're not taught. Because a hundred years ago, medical schools were pushed towards the direction of prescribing drugs and away from natural medicine. And so doctors don't know. And they, they're, they're afraid of cancer just like we're taught to be. And they think that if, you know, the, with an aggressive cancer, you better start treatment today or you may not make it. You know, that's what they've been told. And, and uh, unfortunately, that's not really accurate in many cases. Not that there aren't aggressive cancers and not that there aren't cancers that you really need to move on quickly, but the majority of them you don't. Majority of them take five to eight years to manifest, and when you get diagnosed, if they say, you know, if it's a Friday and they say, you got to start treatment on Monday or else, mm. that, that doesn't pass the smell test to me. You should take some time, research your options, and that's what we're all about with my, my group, the, the Truth About Cancer and the documentaries that we produced, is really just letting people know and educating them that they do have options, and we're not pro necessarily pro-natural treatments or anti uh, uh, treatments like chemotherapy and radiation. I I personally am, but as a company, we're not. What we try to do is just put the truth out there and educate people and then let them make their mind up once they have all the options. And if people want to go for chemo and radiation, if they have all the facts, then, you know, God bless them. That's that's their choice. We're Americans and we should have the choice of of health treatments instead of having it forced down our throat. So what's uh, from your findings and all the people that you've interviewed, you know, there, there's different ideas and, and theories about the ideology of cancer. You mean, you have the, the metabolic theory of cancer mm-hmm. and you have all, all this other stuff. And, and it, it, for people, it's like they're trying to make a decision. They're trusting their medical doctor who, who they feel is highly educated. Right. But where where does a person start? Like, how does how do they wrap their head around this? Right. There are, yeah, you're right, Dr. Mike. There are, there are a lot of different opinions and theories about the ideology of cancer and, you know, what exactly is cancer? How does it start? I, I try not to get into that as much as just trying to find common ground with, we, we, we have to, we have to agree, at least most people agree that if you have cancer, you have cancer because you have a sick body to start with, not vice versa. In other words, you don't have you're not sick because you have cancer. Right, you have right. cancer because you're sick. Yes. So we have a body that's compromised. We have an immune system that's been compromised. We have toxicity overburdening the body or what whatnot. And so you have a body that's already sick or weak in a weakened state. And that's when cancer gets a foothold. So the treatment protocols that I've seen across the board that work really well are the ones that try to restore the body's normal functioning so that it can take care of the cancer the way that it should. I, I did an interview with Dr. Rashid Buttar, who has healed a lot of people of, mm. from cancer out mm-hmm. in North Carolina. And yeah. he said, look, the bottom line is 
cancer cannot exist in a body where the immune system is functioning properly, period. If the immune system is working, you cannot have cancer. If you have cancer, that means your immune system has failed in one, one aspect or another. And so we have to try to get to the bottom of why did the immune system fail and let's get it working again. And so um, I guess it would probably be fair to say that there really are no cures for cancer per se. Yeah. What I believe that there are is there are natural substances. There are substances that, that have been put here by God, the creator, on earth, mm-hmm. could, like vitamin B17 contained in apple seeds and apricot seeds and many, many others, that when taken in the proper amounts with the proper combinations, restore the body, it's God-given ability to heal on its own. And it does the curing, not the substance. Yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think it's really all about restoring uh, the integrity of the gut, restoring the immune function, getting the body back to health. And then when the body's healthy, um, then it takes care of cancer on its own. Because we all create cancer cells every day. I mean, all of us are creating tens uh, up to, I've heard up to 10,000 cancer cells a day. Yeah. Um, and, but, but a body that's functioning properly is going to be able to, to, to tag those cells, to recognize them, to quarantine them, to kill them. And we're not ever faced with a life-threatening form of cancer. But when that, that immune system's functioning, you know, less than adequately, when the body's been compromised, those cancer cells can get a foothold. Um, it really kind of goes back to the, the, the difference between the, the germ theory of disease versus the, the theory of the internal terrain. You had yeah, Louis yeah. Pasteur but the, but believe that, that the germs were the bad guys, so he pasteurized everything. He heated the milk and pasteurized the milk to kill all the bacteria so those bad bacteria didn't get us. And one of his um, counterparts at that time was uh, Beauchamp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Beauchamp was a Frenchman, and he said, no, it's not about the, the germs. It's not about the bacteria. It's really about the internal terrain of the person. So let's get the internal terrain back to functioning properly. Let's build, let's bring the body back to health, and it takes care of the the viruses, the bacteria, the parasites, the sparks, whatever it is, on its own. And so that was that's really the the battle of the ages that still is being manifest today. Because I, I think a lot of our issues today are because much of modern medicine is built upon the germ theory and not the theory of the internal terrain. Yeah, that that's the real big crux that a lot of people can't wrap their heads around you know because we're we're educated in, in this society that mm-hmm. our health is affected from the external world rather than the internal world being like you know like you said the terrain being that that uh, place where it's now hospitable to mm-hmm. disease right you know? and right. you know so it, what i find a lot with people you know they come in they come into my office and then they have this, um, they have, you know, a diagnosis like cancer or whatever. And their whole idea is, well, what are we going to, what are we going to do? And they've been educated, you know, whether it's, it's through natural, you know, remedies and they're like, okay, I want to stick to a certain, certain protocol, you know? And a lot of times, you know, correct me if, if you see something different, but not everybody fits into the same mold, you know, is even when it's a natural remedy, do you see that as well? That's correct. Yeah, because everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Um, nobody's genetics are exactly the same. And, and so it really does need to be an individualized approach. And, and that would go along with the, the internal terrain theory of disease. I mean, you're, we are individuals. And that's why, you know, anytime that somebody's using a natural treatment and they die, of course, the, the entire 
system of natural treatments gets thrown into the same bucket and then everybody poo-poos on it and says, no, see, they don't work. Right, right. And, and the, rea- the reality is, look, that sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. It depends upon what type of cancer. It depends upon a whole host of other different variables within that individual. Just like the, the same thing happens with some people with taking chemotherapy. You know, it, it, chemotherapy works for a very small percentage of people. The rest of them die. Yeah, but um, it, you know, you don't hear modern medicine saying, "Hey, let's let's uh, scrap chemotherapy. It's quackery." Only two percent of the people that take chemotherapy live five years. You don't hear them saying that. But yeah. you know, when when one person unfortunately dies that was using a, a, a natural treatment, they all get thrown into the same bucket. But you know, the reality is, for people to get their head around it with what what the internal terrain theory is, it's just let's say that you go into uh, let's say you send your kids to school. And there's a there's a kid in their class that has the flu, and the next day, half the kids are out with the flu, and the other half aren't out, and the other half never get the flu. Mm-hmm. Well, well, they were all expo- exposed to the same germ, you know, they were exposed to the same virus, right? The same flu virus, but but half the kids didn't get it. Well, why? This happens all the time. Why didn't they? Well, because their body was ready to fight it off, and the other half that got sick weren't. The other sick were already compromised, mm-hmm. and so. That really, I mean, that's a simple example how maybe people can get their hands around what we're talking about. The same goes with people that have uh, have a disease like cancer or even diabetes or a whole host of other diseases. I think it really all goes back to the immune system and getting the body back into a state of health so that it fends off disease the way it was intended to naturally. So what is or what's some of the major causes of what's uh, allowing the immune system to become suppressed? Oh wow! It's it, it is mostly environmental toxicity, in my opinion, and, and it's not just my opinion. I mean, yeah. even on the uh, the American Cancer Society website, they've got a document called "Cancer Facts and Figures," and I think in that document, I, it, it mentions between seventy and eighty five percent of cancers are caused by environmental factors mm. such as toxicity and so forth. Even they, I think that document even mentions the food. So it's interesting that when we talk about environmental toxins, we talk about food, we talk about the the, the need to eat clean food and detoxify. We're called quacks or lunatics or whatever because that has nothing to do with disease. But at the same time, the American Cancer Society has that very information on its own website, so it's kind of hidden in plain sight for us. Yeah, yeah. But like, I, I, I really do think it's the toxicity issue. Um, you know, we're exposed to chemicals in our food, in our water, in the air. Uh, we're exposed to electromagnetic radiation. You know, cell phone radiation, uh, nuclear radiation, fallout from Fukushima, and so forth. I mean, it's just it, everywhere you turn, Doctor Mike. We are being it completely pelted with toxicity. And I mean, it's a wonder that we're, it's a wonder that we don't all have cancer. Right. And, but here's the thing for the average person is, and this is the whole reason why I even started this show was I get a lot of people coming to me and say, doc, I, I, I look at published research and published research. One is telling me, Hey, you know what? This is causing cancer. And then another article is turning around and saying that exact thing is not causing cancer. Right. You know, so like, how does, how does the average person, they're walking through life, they're not educated as a medical doctor, and, and they're trying to sift through all this information. Right. How do they know what the heck is right? You know, a lot of it, believe it or not, to me, it goes down to the smell test. My dad okay. used to say, you know what, son, if it doesn't smell right, then something's probably not right. And the, the way that we can apply the smell test to, to this, this topic is, is like this. So we've got, let's look at genetically modified foods, for example. You know, so, so we have, a, yeah, we have a, we have a study that yeah. was published in 2012 by Sarah Lini and his colleagues in France. 
the study showed that the genetically modified foods were causing cancer in these rats. Right. Huge tumors. Yeah. Enormous tumors. I mean, the, the pictures will blow your mind. I'm sure you've seen them, but if yeah. anyone that's listening wants to go Google the Seralini study, you can look at those rats. Enormous tumors. Well, Monsanto comes out and they say, well, that wasn't a valid cancer study. It doesn't cause tumor in, in cancer, or it doesn't cause cancerous tumors in rats. That's that's a false study. They, they so they you know the mainstream debunks the study. They say, mm. oh, that was a, that was a bad study. Well, turns out that we find out later the only difference between all of the studies that Monsanto had done on the rats with, with the, with the uh, genetically modified corn. And the, the study that Seralini did was that Seralini and his colleagues carried out the study to two years. And Monsanto stopped the study at 90 days. Mm. Monsanto even had the audacity to say that they used the wrong kind of rats and they didn't use enough rats. The, the, the reality is that, that, that Seralini used a, a, a breed of rats called Sprague Dolly rats. And Seralini and his colleagues tested 10 rats. Monsanto said they, they didn't use the right kind of rats, and they didn't use the right number of rats. But in every study that Monsanto had done before that, they used Frank Dolly rats, and they used 10 rats. Mm. Exactly the same thing that they accused Seralini of doing incorrectly. The only difference between the studies was that Monsanto stopped the study at 90 days. They said GMO corn is safe. They don't cause any damage in lab rats. And the rats didn't start getting their tumors until about 120 to 150 days in the Seralini study. Monsanto just stopped the study before any of the the deleterious side effects were found. Yeah, so hey, people just got to do do their own diligence, right? And they do. They've they, just got to do their own due diligence. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and the, the way where the smell test comes in is if you're if you're using uh, you know BT toxin is is very popular. Uh, pesticide that's used, or it's yeah. actually a, it's actually not even uh, it's not even a pesticide. It's a, it's actually woven into the DNA of some of these genetically modified um, uh, vegetables, so that when an insect eats it, it causes the insect's stomach to explode. Okay, it's, the BT tox is actually woven into the genetic fiber of some of these crops. Yeah, and and so to me, I just think, okay, the smell test, it causes insects' stomachs to explode. What is it going to do to my insides? Yeah, And it just doesn't pass the smell test. I don't want to eat that because I don't care if they tell me it's safe or not. It just doesn't seem like it should be safe. And it's not, it's not safe. It doesn't pass the smell test. And, you know, along those lines, it's like a lot of people say, well, Ty, um, how am I going to go through all of this information? And, you know, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying, but you know what, if I'm going to the supermarket to feed my family, um, I'm, and I'm looking at produce, I don't, one, I don't know if it's GMO <laughs> Two, uh, if it's not GMO, it's often going to cost me more money. So what am I going to do here? Well, that's, and that's, that's uh, very common. Uh, objections yeah right to, to this okay is is that it's more expensive and we don't know if it's gmo well number one i i think it's absurd that we don't that that in the united states we don't label gmos okay i mean it it, it they should be labeled we should know what's in our food if monsanto's so convinced that gmos are healthy for us and they feed the world and they're all these good things they should they they should want to tell us that GMOs are in this particular product. I mean, it, they should be shouting it from the mountaintops. Hey, yeah, this yeah. product has GMOs because they're so good for you. Well, they don't want to label. That should tell you something, folks. It doesn't pass the smell test from that perspective. But when it comes to the organic being more expensive, yeah, organics are more expensive. But 
I I would say probably ninety to ninety five people percent of the people that are listening, they could if that were a priority, if they realized that eating pesticides is not good, eating glyphosate, which is now a known or probable carcinogen according to the World Health Organization, which is sprayed on a lot of these crops that are not organic, we know that it causes cancer. In light of the fact that we know that these things are going to cause damage, and it may not be an immediate damage, it may be in five ten years. Shouldn't that be your priority to eat clean food? And if, in light of the fact that it should be your priority, which I, I I don't know how you can argue that it should be your priority. It should be if you want to live a long life. Then let's juggle around some things if you're on a tight budget to where you can afford it. And it's not that much more expensive. In light of the fact, I mean, people that and I get hundreds and hundreds of emails every day. And a very common question is, I can't afford the GMOs. I mean, I can't afford the organic food. I you know, I, I, I live on a fixed income or whatever. And so I'll always ask the people, how many times a week do you go out to dinner? Mm. And most people go out at least three, four times a week. And a lot of them way more than that. So I go back to them and say, look, quit going out to dinner. And I'm not talking about, you know, they're not, they're not going out to McDonald's. They're, they're going out to dinner and they're spending 20 bucks or 30 bucks on a meal. Quit spending it. Put it into organic foods. Make that your priority, and you'll find out you can actually afford more than you think you can. It takes me back to Kentucky about three or four years ago, Mike. I was speaking at a conference up there, and I went to a 7-Eleven or a little quick stop to buy a, a bottle of water. So I'm standing in line behind a mother and her daughter, and her daughter is right there at the, st- at the checkout stand. They had a, a, a bag full of apples, and her daughter picks up an apple, and the mother had bought – I think she had like a soda package of cigarettes and a lottery ticket mm-hmm. so she 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 rings it up you know the, the cashier rings her up and she buys the cigarettes she buys the lottery ticket she buys the soda and then her daughter hands her the apple and she says mommy i want this and she says we can't afford that what do you think we're made of money mm. and i'm like you serious you just bought a soda a lottery ticket and a package of cigarettes for six bucks and you can't buy your daughter an apple so I think a lot of times we we can afford to eat healthy. We just don't prioritize it. Yeah. And, you know, I just got done talking to a patient the other day and I said, look, you you're spending more money on your external world than you are on your internal world. Yeah. You, know, you just spent, you know, twenty three hundred dollars on a new flat screen TV. And now you're saying that I can't afford to take care of my own body. I said, look, that TV is mm-hmm. going to outlive you, you know, the way, yeah. at, at the rate that you're going. Yep, you know, and it comes down to mindset and priorities, right? Is exactly what you're saying. Now, when yeah. you, you you know you, you turn on the internet and people, you know, you start googling stuff, right? And that's one of the big big drawbacks in 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 our society today. You start googling stuff, you go on WebMD, and um, you get all these diagnoses, and you go in, and maybe you do get diagnosed with cancer. Right. So you're you're scared. That's the majority of people. Right. You get this diagnosis. You're, you're kind of scared. But then you start thinking, well, maybe there's there's natural treatments. Right. Where does a person like that start? What, what should they what should be their their first couple steps? Um, you know, I, I not a selfless plug or anything here, but I would go to our website, the truth about cancer dot com and just start reading. Yeah. Um, There's we've tons got, of information there, by huh. the way. I mean, yeah, oh gosh, we just yeah. have, we have a ton of free information out there. Um, uh, we, you know, we've produced a couple of documentaries over the last couple of years. They, they are for sale, but we've got several of those episodes that are up on YouTube that you yeah. can watch. I mean, there's so much free information out there. You don't have to spend a dime, but I would just get educated. Um, I think that 
that knowledge really is power when it comes to a situation like a cancer diagnosis. And I think that we could avoid the fear. We could avoid being bullied into doing something that we're not comfortable with if, we, if we're proactive and we, we learn about these things before the diagnosis. Because, you know, the reality is, Mike, most, most people, well, according to the World Health Organization, one in two men that are alive today, one in three women are going to face cancer sometime in their lifetime. So most likely about 50% of the people that are listening are going to face cancer. It doesn't mean you're going to die from it. It may yeah. be a cancer that you never die from, but people are going to be diagnosed with cancer. Now, if you're, if you're aware before that diagnosis of your options, if you, if, you're, if you know that it doesn't need to create fear and still fear in you, if you know that it does not need to be a death sentence, if, you, if you're aware of these different facts, it doesn't have to be something, it doesn't have to be a, a, a situation that just causes you to spiral into depression like it does a lot of people. Knowledge is power. And so I just recommend that people begin to read about their options now um, before the diagnosis. And, you know, the reality is some people are going to want to go completely natural. Some people are going to want to go completely conventional. And I don't call it traditional treatments. I, I hate to call chemo radiation and traditional because right. that really is not the meaning of the word. Traditional means something that's been used for traditions and chemo yeah. radiation haven't. They're not well, traditional. That's fa- fairly relatively yeah, new. It's, it's relatively new. So the traditional treatments are the herbs and the, and the foods and the, the natural stuff. That's really traditional. But, you know, some people are going to want to go with, with, the, with a conventional Western approach. Some people are going to go all natural. And some people are going to want to choose an integrative approach. But I think it's just good to know all of your options. And then if, if and when that time comes, then you, you know that you, you don't necessarily have to be scared on a Friday afternoon to go in next Monday for chemo or you're going to die, which in most cases is not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. So cool. As as we start to wrap things up, um, the the last segment of, of the interview, I I kind of jump into what's called your favorite things. Um, okay. So, in, in in relation to all the stuff that you've learned, because you, I mean, you've interviewed uh, some of the best in the world surrounding the, the subject of cancer. Mm-hmm. What you know, in relation to that, what is your favorite food that you would you would deem towards you know handling cancer? Just uh, kind of like a, an overarching umbrella food that you can give towards either anti-cancer or helping your body to prevent stuff. Wow. I, you know, I think that it would, it, it would, I'm not sure that you would necessarily call it a food. It's more of a root, but turmeric okay. or tur- turmeric. Oh. Um, I think that the, the, the research that's out there on, on, on turmeric is, is incredible. Uh, being an anti-cancer and, and just being, having a, a immune uh, effects that everyone should be taking turmeric each day. I, I, I think it's incredible. Um, but, you know, maybe you, people may not have even heard of that. Or they, that may not be practical. Um, so then let's, let's go to something that's practical. Um, organic, uh, dark-skinned, seeded grapes, if you can get a hold of organic, are phenomenal with the anti-cancer properties of, of grapes. I know there's a lot of natural sugar, of course, but there's a lot of benefits of the seeds and the skins, the resveratrol, the flavanols, and the vitamin B17 in the seeds. That's an, that's an amazing anti-cancer food. Um, you have uh, avocados. I mean, is, I could go down, I could probably name 20 fruits and vegetables that they all have anti-cancer effects, and they're all things that you could eat on a daily basis. I love avocados for the healthy fats. But um, you know that's that's definitely one that I would throw into the mix. You look at the uh, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower with the sulforaphanes, mm-hmm. and th- those are amazing vegetables that have anti-cancer effects, and they, they taste great too. I mean, the, the the cool thing about these these organic natural fruits and vegetables that you can eat on a daily basis is they taste so good, and and so you don't have to sacrifice 
your 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 pleasure in in tasting good foods if you eat a healthy diet. People think, oh, I can't eat healthy because it doesn't taste good. Yeah. The reality is, after you've eaten healthy, you know, as long as I have or as long as you have, yeah, you know, a Big Mac does not look good to me. No, it lo- it looks horrible. Um, <laughs> I I I love cutting into a fresh avocado or a fresh organic tomato or, you know, just my my daughter each night. Her her meal. She's 16 and she's really into eating healthy. She'll she'll get some organic um, yogurt and then she eats. She mixes that with organic strawberries, organic blueberries, organic blackberries, organic grapes, and organic banana. And maybe she'll put some seeds on top of it. That's her meal. Damn, and that sounds it, good. She, she loves it. <laughs> she loves it. You know. And and so you really what you do is you train your taste buds after you avoid all of these 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 chemicalized foods that we've been eating for so long. After you don't eat them for so long, you you don't you don't crave them anymore yeah. because they, they not only are bad for you, but they also have chemicals in them. In them and mean, some of them do that are addictive that cause you to want to go back for more. Yeah. And so once you've broken that cycle of a food addiction, which is what it really is, and you can go into, into eating these these organic fruits, vegetables. And I'm not necessarily a vegetarian or anything. I eat clean meats and I eat eggs, but only from clean sources. Um, then you can really begin to enjoy what you eat, and it's uh, most of the things that you will find have some sort of an anti-cancer effect. You can't, you can't eat a, a, a meal of fresh organic fruits and vegetables, seeds, and nuts. That is not a cancer-fighting meal. Yeah. Now, while, while we're talking about that, um, what's your thoughts on the China study? Because the, when that came out, everybody was like, well, you should never, ever eat meat. And it, and it really propagates this whole idea of vegetarianism. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, the the China study was was um, it was published. I'm trying to think of who put that out. Was that uh, Colin Campbell? Colin Campbell, yeah. Colin Campbell, yeah. yeah. So he put out the the China study, and I can't remember all of the details. I wish I could, but there was there were several of there was a lot of selective use of data in the China study. Yeah, I noticed and, that. And, I don't. I don't remember all the details. I did. I wrote an article on it a couple of years ago, but it's been a couple of years since I've addressed that topic. But let's just say that the findings were. I think. I think he had a good. I, had, I think he had good intentions, and I think it's a. It's a really good idea to eat a, a diet that's primarily fruits and vegetables and not a ton of meat. But I think his zealousness for wanting to convince everybody that they should eat only fruits and vegetables and stay away from meat it caused him to. To have a little bit of selective use of data that we are that I that, that that I accuse the other side of doing when they they falsify studies on chemotherapy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he falsified the study, but I'm just saying he kind of cherry picked the numbers to make it much more convincing of a study than it really was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly what I what, what I was thinking too. What's uh your what's your like favorite like supplement? Wow, um, my. My favorite supplement is a supplement that is called Turmeric 3D. Turmeric 3D? 3D, Turmeric 3D, and it's a, it's a supplement. It's, and and I, I have to say this. I, I actually am a co-owner in a company called Epigenetic Labs, and we okay. produce the supplement. So I want to get that out in the open, but this is not a shameless plug. It's just the best, the best supplement that I'm aware of right now because we've got three different types of uh, turmeric that are all, uh, they're all uh, fermented turmeric, which nobody else on the market has fermented turmeric. And you know the value of uh, fermenting different substances, the way yeah. that it releases the enzymes and so forth. So it's got three different types of turmeric, uh, fermented turmeric. It's got ashwagandha, 
Um, it's got turkey tail, mushroom. It's got fermented organic ginger, and it's also got uh, it's it's in a, a carrier of humic acid and fulvic acid. But it's also got vitamin D three, ten thousand milligrams, or I use not milligrams, but I use a vitamin D three. So, just one serving of this thing gives you all of the vitamin D you need for the day, plus three different types of fermented turmeric, ashwagandha, ginger. Turkey tail mushroom. It's it's a great supplement. I never miss the turmeric 3D. Awesome. Have you, have you guys done a, a lot of like clinical trials and stuff like that with it? We have not done clinical trials on this particular product. Now, I mean, you look at the separate different different separate, ingredients. Yeah, yeah. We've okay. had had trials on those, but now we just actually uh, released this product a couple of months ago, and it's oh. just people love it. But I wow. I never miss my turmeric 3D, and so <laughs> you asked my favorite one by by far. That's the one. And w- what our goal was with this this product was really to try to to, some people have like 20 or 30 different pill bottles in their medicine cabinet for yes. health stuff, yeah. you know, their supplements. We wanted to get make it to where you could just have a few and get everything you need. And so that's why we combined all of these, you know, these heavy hitting products all into one, these, these substances all into one product. Cool. I got to take a look at that. That's awesome. What's yeah, up? Man, send me your address. I'll ship you a couple of bottles. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what, what, what's like your, your favorite, like exercise fitness regimen? Well, I, you know, I work out every day with weights, actually four days a week, I'll work out with weights. And, um, and I used to be a competitive bodybuilder. I'm not anymore. I just try to stay in, stay in shape doing okay. the weight training, but I also ride a stationary bike just to get some aerobics. But I think the, the most beneficial from a cancer perspective is I jump on the trampoline, the mini tramp rebounder rebounding. And yeah, and I'll do that for 10, 15, 20 minutes a day while I'm watching the news or whatever. Easy to do, not, you know, very low impact, but it gets, it moves your lymphatic system. And yeah. the lymphatic system is a really one of the best ways that we can detoxify our body. And most people don't do the movement that we, that's required to stimulate the lymph flow. And so I think that's very important. Um, and then at the end of every, every workout, I will sit in the far infrared sauna for about 30 to 45 minutes and sweat profusely. And so that's, that's my workout regimen. Perfect. What would be like a, like a favorite book that you would recommend to somebody? Um, on health? Yeah. Gosh, I think um, the, probably the, a great place for people to start is a book by Dr. Patrick Quillen called Beating Cancer with Nutrition. Ooh. Um, Dr. Quillen was uh, 25 years with the um, uh, – it's a, it's, a, it's a chain of, of cancer clinics. I'm trying to think of what it was, it was called the um, – Gosh, I can't remember what it was called, but it's one of the most popular cancer clinics. I mean, traditional cancer treatment yeah, clinics okay. in the States. He was, he was the head of nutrition for them for uh, about a decade. He's just very, very knowledgeable about foods and the impact that food can have on your body, on your immune system, and in cancer prevention. I think that'd be a great place to start. Perfect. And just kind of wrapping it up, what would be like your number one health tip to a person that either is going through cancer or just wants to do some preventative measures? What would be that number one health tip? Number one health tip is to remember that cancer is a disease that is a combination of toxicity with a deficiency. So if we can, if we can look at both of those different areas, then we can begin to prevent the cancer. And so toxicity if we can eliminate our exposure to as many toxins as possible, okay. which we can yep. be done primarily by our foods, yep. stop stop eating the crap that's getting you sick. That's a, that's the layman's version of that side of the coin, right? That's perfect. And then if on the other side of the coin, it's a deficiency of good nutrients. Yeah. And so if we will stop eating the crap that's getting us sick and start eating high nutrient value foods, then we can begin to prevent 
cancer from ever occurring. So it's really both sides of the coin are the same thing. It's the same coin as eating a really healthy diet. Start yeah, putting yeah, yeah. stuff in your body that's getting you sick and start giving your body the nutrition that it needs with high nutrient, high value food. Perfect. Perfect. Now, uh, just to kind of wrap it up. Oh, and it was, oh, by the way, sorry, Dr. Yeah. America, uh, Cancer Centers of America. Dr. Quillen was the head of nutrition for Cancer Centers of America. Cancer Centers of America. I'll put those in the show notes. Yeah. Cancer Centers of America. Perfect. Now, just to kind of wrap things up, um, where can people, one, connect with you, and two, where can they find more information about the truth about cancer? Sure. So if you go to www.thetruthaboutcancer.com, that's that's the main website yep. where you can do all the research. There's a contact button on there. You can get in touch with me there. Okay. And um, I mean, it's pretty much a one-stop shop there. So that's that's really the the place that you can start. And, and literally, as I mentioned earlier, you can read for hours and hours of just, we post articles every day. Perfect. Perfect. And I know like sometimes throughout the year, you guys do like uh, showings, right? Of uh, of the Of the documentary series. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, and we'll be doing a couple of more showings of the last documentary that we did called uh, Truth About Cancer, A Global Quest uh, throughout the course of the year. And then in October, we got a big uh, event in Dallas uh, from October the 14th to the 7th or 14th to the 16th. We've got uh, the Truth About Cancer. I think we're calling it the Ultimate Live Symposium. And we got about 45 different speakers coming to uh, to speak there. And it'll be a three day conference on primarily cancer. Is that open to the public or just? It is. It okay. is. It is. And um, if you want me to, I'll send you over the link yeah. and put it in the show notes Perfect. Uh, where people can get tickets. Perfect. October 14th, 16th in Dallas. That should actually be very, very interesting. You know, I mean, yeah, like you said, the statistics now is a one in two men, one in three women. It's, it, it's something that we're all facing and it's something that either if it's not us directly, there's a family and a family member going through it. And you know, it starts with the educational process so that, you know, knowing something will arm us with, you know, having, having some type of information so that you can make an educated decision mm-hmm. so that, you know, we're not just going along, you know, we're not just going along with the stream of, uh, hey, I'm just going to go and jump into chemotherapy. You know, it's making that decision about what you're going to be doing with your health, because I see so many patients where they come in and they're like, hey can you help me? And I'm like, your body's too far gone by about now. Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen patients where they've gone through rounds and rounds of chemotherapy. Nothing was successful. Now they want to start taking that approach. Right. You know? And um, sometimes it's, it is too late, you know, with, with all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, much better to be preventative, to, to not ever have to treat cancer, to go ahead and do the things that you need to now to, in order to prevent it. Because, you know, the reality is you go in there for that diagnosis. If you're not armed with, with information, your head starts spinning, the things start moving at 100 miles an hour. And before you know it, you've got the chemo going into you because that's what they told you to do. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one last thing I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, yeah. you know, so you, you did all these interviews with all of these, uh, with all of these health professionals around the world. What was the one thing that stood out to you that just jumped out at you and, and that just kind of blew your mind and in, in, through all the interviews? You know, I think probably the thing that, that blew my mind uh, last year, I traveled to a little country called Riga, Latvia. Well, it's Latvia is the country, Riga is the city, okay. but I, I traveled to Riga, Latvia and I, I, was there and and uh, with my camera guys doing a bunch of filming of doctors that are using 
viruses to treat cancer. The Rigvir? Um, yeah. The Rigvir treatment. And yeah. that, that was really, that blew my mind because I didn't know before that time yeah. that you could actually use healthy viruses to treat cancer, but they're doing it very, very successfully. Um, I did an interview with a, a patient that had been left for dead, basically, in St. Petersburg, Russia. Her oncologist had given her multiple rounds of chemo and then they had they told her that the chemo's not working you'll be dead in two weeks let's you know let's send you home to hospice her her family literally carried her into the car and drove her to riga latvia and uh within a month she was standing within a year she was completely well she went back to talk to the the patients that she had been in the the hospital with in st petersburg unfortunately they were all dead she told her oncologist about it and here's what he told her mike he said it, you're probably well because of a delayed reaction to my chemotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't yeah, you say that? But it, yeah. So anyway, I, I interviewed her. Her name was Zoya. Okay. And uh, I interviewed her at five years from her cancer diagnosis. Wow. Just just an amazing story. But just really an amazing clinic over there, the European Virotherapy Center. They've been approved. Rigvir has been approved by Latvia and Georgia, not the state of Georgia, but the, the Georgia uh, over there south of Russia. To be an official treatment that's in that is used in hospitals in those countries. So it's not yet approved in the United States, then. It's not, but we we have doctors in Mexico that are able to get Rigvir. Doctor Antonio Jimenez, one at the Hope for Cancer. Hope for Cancer Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uses Rigvir. Okay, okay, perfect. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I remember when I first learned about Rigvir, I was I, I, I was saying, "Wait, you're right." I'm like, "Wow." Yeah, that's that's so crazy. So guys, go out and and I would recommend everybody getting uh, actually because how much does the the series cost? It's like fifty bucks or something, right? Man, I think yeah. If you if if you go to truth about the truth about cancer dot com, if 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 you you just want the digital downloads, I mean, you get all hundred and thirty one interviews that I did with you know the the doctors last summer, plus all nine episodes, plus the transcripts, plus. Uh, all the the uh, interview transcripts plus the episode transcripts plus I think you get the MP3 files. I think it's like forty seven dollars. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I it's pretty dirt cheap. Yeah, that's the one I bought. It was like forty seven bucks, and it blew me away. You know, like there's so much information packed within this, guys. I mean, this is something that I think everybody should have because there's so much information that and and, and all with that information too, guys. It, it'll lead you to different areas that you guys can research on your own. And it's pointing you in the right direction. So everybody should go out there and, and, and get a copy of About the Truth About Cancer. Um, Ty, it's been great having you on the show. Um, any last things you want to you wanna say before we, before we uh, cut it off? Man, I, I just thank you, Dr. Mike, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And just want to encourage people that are listening that uh, just to remember that cancer is not a death sentence. Um, you know, no matter what your oncologist would tell you. No matter how dire they make it out to be, there's always hope. And there's there's just a lot of really heavy-hitting scientific information on natural treatments for cancer that's out there. And so I just would encourage you to empower yourself with knowledge now. There you have it, guys. Go out it and uh, get the videos and study it and make it part of your health regimen. So with that, we thank you, Ty, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Mike. Appreciate it. <laughs>